Welcome to the Dynasty Freaks podcast with your host, Justin Christopher. For free rankings, player values, waiver wire tips, and trade advice, follow him online at dynastyfreaks.com or email dynastyfreaks at gmail.com. Hello and greetings from Austin, Texas. Welcome all of you Dynasty Freaks. Admit it, you are addicted to Dynasty and I am too. My name is Justin Christopher and I am a Dynasty Freak, which means I love drafting, trading, scouting, and managing all of my teams 365 days a year. So do you, so let's talk some Dynasty. Here's what we have in store today on episode number 108. We're going to review week number five. Of course, week number five now is almost in the books. We're recording this on Monday afternoon, so we still have a Monday night game. And then this week, of course, we have a Tuesday night game. And so we have a lot to deal with. Uh, even though the NFL had to scramble a lot due to COVID cases this week, uh, we did lose one more game. The NFL schedules got shuffled quite a bit. But hey, hey we did have football, so we got that. It seems like the NFL is very committed to a 16-game season, bringing joy to dynasty managers like you and me. So I know I personally had a great week. It looks like my teams are going to finish 6-2 and two this week, depending on what happens on Monday and Tuesday night games. But like I always say, win or lose, it's a joy to watch football all weekend and cheer on my teams. So after following all the games this week, here are some of my thoughts regarding uh, week number five and its impact that it has on our dynasty teams. First thing I'd say is that uh, you guys, I'll call it the Sunday Scramble. I think most of you know that I'm a pastor. It's my real job. And so Sunday mornings are already really busy for me. So I do all my final research and set all my lineups on Saturday afternoon so as not to have to think about it uh, on Sunday mornings. Uh, but I couldn't do that this Sunday, however. The NFL announced that the Denver-New England game was going to get moved till next week. So that news, combined with the fact that we have a game on Monday and Tuesday, and then in those games, there were a lot of players with questionable tags really made for some rough uh, roster decisions. This is pretty hilarious. In one league, I actually had to start Jordan Howard as my RB2 because Melvin Gordon and Damian Harris were not playing and Kerryon Johnson was on a bye week. So then I find out after I put him in the starting lineup that Howard didn't even suit up for the game. He was a healthy scratch by coach's decision. But thankfully, the team that I was playing started Michael Thomas. And, and by the time that New Orleans announced on Sunday afternoon that he was not going to play because of the team suspension for one game, uh, he had nowhere else, no one else that he could put in his roster, a wide receiver position on his roster. So we're both playing with one man down against each other. I suspect that this is going to, how, this is going to be what it's like with COVID cases as they continue to affect teams. So I'm going to get used to probably this uh, Sunday scramble, as I'll call it. Second thing I would talk about this week overall, and something that I noticed is that it's a kind of a tight end wasteland, a wasteland at the tight end position. This week I actually decided to go tight end shopping in several of my leagues. So Jared Cook is my starting tight end in a few leagues, and he was questionable to start this week. Then Zach Ertz is my starting tight end in several leagues, and he appears to be thoroughly washed up. So depressing. So when I went to the roster grid to try to find the teams that maybe had two startable tight ends and think about a trade that I could try to work out, I just realized that the tight end market is really a wasteland right now. There's only six tight ends that are averaging more than 12 points per game. And there are about a dozen that score between 9 and 11 points per game. So I found that I was very unwilling to pay up for one of those top tier, top scoring tight ends that I mentioned. And I'm really reluctant to give anything for a middle of the pack tight end because the guys on my roster are just as likely to, to win a week or have a good week as any of the other tight ends that I'd be considering. I looked at my lineups this week and I realized I started Darren Fells, Jimmy Graham, Chris Herndon, and Tyler Higby, and the corpse, I'll call him, of Zach Ertz. I started all of them on teams this week, 
which made me really grateful for the leagues where I do have Kelsey and Waller and Kittle. I sure wish I had more of those. Tight ends are a real wasteland right now with a few top-tier guys and a bunch of people in the middle. Third thing I noticed this week, I'll call it Houston. We don't have a problem. (laughs) So it turns out all that Deshaun Watson and the Texans need is a new coaching staff and an inferior opponent to unleash their weapons. Houston did have, you know, one of the most formidable starting schedules, playing the playing the Chiefs, then the Ravens, then the Steelers to start the season. And their schedule kind of lightened up this week as they faced Jacksonville at home. And Watson had his best fantasy week of the season, scoring 34 points. He did manage 27 points last week um, in week four, while Bill O'Brien was still calling the plays. But it was a really ugly game where he only completed 60% of his passes and uh, still scored 27 fantasy points, but looked really bad. And he had no completions in week four to Brandon Cooks. But this week, with O'Brien gone after he'd been fired, he completed 71% of his passes and threw touchdowns both to Cooks, Fuller, and Fells. I think better things are yet to come for the Texans' passing game this season now that their schedule's a little bit easier and that their coach is finally gone. Last thing I'll mention just overall before we talk about some injuries is I'll call it the sack attack. <laughs> so the Rams and the Ravens just annihilated Washington and the Bengals quarterbacks and their offenses this week. The Rams defense compiled eight sacks, nine quarterback hits, and 10 tackles for a loss. So Washington only had 111 passing yards. Um, Kyle Allen left the game with an injury to his arm, and then the possible comeback player of the year candidate, Alex Smith, came in, and you're just thinking, oh no, is he going to get tested? And his bionic leg took a pounding. At least Smith proved that he could take a hit, uh, but he didn't prove that he could move the offense, at least not against the Rams, who are so good. And then the Ravens did something real similar. Their defense compiled seven sacks, 15 quarterback hits, and one and 11 and a half tackles for loss. Joe Burrow only managed 183 yards passing, and Joe Mixon averaged 2.5 yards per carry. These two defenses are awesome. If you actually remove the Kansas City game from the Ravens' schedule, they've given up an average of 10.5 points per game um, and there are other games if you take the Kansas City game out and the Rams uh, have not been quite as dominant but if you remove the Bills game that was a shootout from their schedule they've given up an average of 13.75 points per game I think the pass rush on both of these teams makes for awful fantasy performances among many of the fantasy players that they're up against so dynasty managers should really consider these two defenses when they're making start sit decisions for the rest of the year Now, sadly, we have to talk about the really, really bad news of the week. Uh, The injuries, and of course, me as a Cowboy fan, I think anyone who just loves football loves Dak Prescott. Uh, Classy, classy, awesome guy in this contract year. And the worst and most gruesome injury of the day was definitely Dak's fractured ankle. Uh, My heart heart hurt really bad for him as a Cowboy fan and and just as a player who was on on pace to shatter passing records. Granted, he wasn't going to keep up that pace, but he was still... Got a really strong head start to shatter some passing records as he earned his way, you know, toward a new enormous contract, hopefully. While the Cowboys do have the most experienced backup quarterback in the league and Andy Dalton, uh, the pass catcher's value has to drop quite a bit for this year. Dak's character, his work ethic, really make me believe that he's going to do well in rehab and he's going to bounce back next year and will continue to thrive in Dallas's high-powered offense with all those receivers. I think he's going to remain a top five dynasty quarterback, um, but Dallas may try other factors. Maybe Dallas is going to try to lean on Zeke, and more than they will um, now. You know, if when Dak is healthy, 
but he's going to have fewer touchdown opportunities because Dalton's not going to be able to move the ball quite as effectively as Dak. So I keep his value, dynasty value really just stays about the same as well as his season-long value. It's going to be uh, tough to see what the Cowboys can do. That was awful to see uh, all the pass-catching players there in, in Dallas have to uh, drop in their value for this year, though not so much in Dynasty. Next injury, Dalvin Cook. Uh, Cook left the game Sunday night with a groin injury, and then Alexander Madison came in to contribute 112 yards rushing in his absence. Uh, Madison managers have probably secretly been waiting to capitalize on an injury for Cook. Well, now they can. Madison really is an every-week starter while Cook is out, but his, his dynasty value will remain about the same. Uh, Cook signing his new contract last month really put a firm ceiling on, on Madison's dynasty value, in my opinion, at least for the time being. But he's still one of the best handcuffs in the league, so the managers who have Cook on their roster are probably going to be the most willing to pay up for Madison. That's kind of a, a kind of a move that I like to do a lot if I do have someone's handcuff uh, offer that handcuff in a trade immediately to the one who lost the starting running back. He's probably going to offer more than anyone else would for Madison, whom you know can probably just be a short-term, you know, two or three-week fix for you while Cook is waiting. Next entry, this one bit me in the butt for the second week in a row. Uh, really, I guess you'd say two out of three weeks since Pittsburgh didn't play last week. But Deontay Johnson, he left in the first quarter again, as he did last week, only this time with a back injury instead of a concussion. And Chase Claypool stepped right in and scored four touchdowns. Ridiculous. In the last weeks, uh, last week I, I spoke about how I really believe that Johnson has surpassed Juju and become the wide receiver one in Pittsburgh. Well, maybe Claypool's aiming to overtake them both. I won't say that yet, but he sure looked good yesterday. After a day like that, they really, they Pittsburgh really has to consider starting him ahead of Juju and Johnson for that matter. I was very wrong. I admit it. I was very wrong in my rookie class evaluation of Claypool, and I'll have to move him up significantly in my dynasty rankings this week. While Johnson really remains steady, Juju's the one that's falling further and further, and I'm, at this point, I don't believe that Juju will be signing a second contract that he was hoping for in Pittsburgh. Uh, he'll have to try to increase his dynasty value on a, another team possibly next year. Next injury was A.J. Green and T. Higgins. He saw the most snaps on Sunday after Green uh, injured himself making that two of the last three weeks he's actually led the team in snaps. I'm really afraid to say that Green's dynasty value has fallen even further since he's proven that he can't stay healthy. Uh, he has had every opportunity these first five games of the year, but couldn't play better than a rookie like Higgins. Uh, sadly, Green is untradeable and then unplayable right now, which really makes him just a sore spot on dynasty rosters. I think his only hope to see any dynasty value move up slightly is to increase, or, or, or for it to increase at all, would be for him to get traded to another team. And that would, that you know, some team that just tries to squeeze the last bit of life out of his long career, I think that's his only hope. Next, next we have Sammy Watkins. Watkins hurt his hamstring, uh, opening the door for Mecole Hardman to get 50 snaps this week, tying his, his record high for the year. Demarcus Robinson, though, you got to keep in mind, he had 49 snaps, and he actually had one more target than Hardman. So it's really uncertain whether Hardman is the only player that's going to benefit from Watkins' absence if he's to miss a few weeks. Uh, he's just one. He's just that one. He's just the one receiver that the dynasty managers really want to see playing full time next to Tyreek Hill, since he's a far better playmaker than Robinson. We want to see Nicole get this chance. I think if Sammy misses time with this injury, I'm going to monitor those snap counts really carefully and really hope that Hardman. Uh, gets significantly more work than Robinson does because he is a better player for sure. 
Last player we'll talk about injury-wise was DJ Chark. Chark left the field late in the game where he was already being out-targeted by LaVisca Chenault and Keelan Cole. Uh, last week, I wrote about a podcast about how Chark needs to get uh, fed like 8 to 10 targets a week to really impact fantasy rosters, and he finally did a week ago, but this time he left the game with only four targets, while Chenault and Cole had eight and six, respectively. Even rookie Colin Johnson got involved. He had four targets and his first NFL touchdown. This is an interesting offense. Uh, last year's kind of fringe dynasty rosters, Chris Conley and Dee Westbrook, They've significantly been surpassed by bounce-back player in Cole and then by the rookie Chenault. Um, Shark is one of the most talented. Um, wide, I do believe he's the most talented wide receiver in Jacksonville, but his injuries, man, if they keep piling up, they're going to cause others to score more fantasy points as has already happened this year and ultimately may cause his dynasty value to drop below uh, those of Chenault and Cole. We'll see. Let's talk a little bit about the waiver wire. Get this out early to you guys to give you some ideas on who you might pick up on the waiver wire. Just as a reminder, I'd play in 27 to 30 man roster leagues, so what I call true dynasty leagues. So the players that I list here are for deep leagues only. Certainly, if you play in a shallower league, there's better players to pick up off the wire. That said, for those of you in two dynasty leagues, here's what I'd be looking to pick up, and here's the order that I would prioritize them. I only have three for you here. First would be Andy Dalton. Um, I'd spend all of my fab on Dalton if I was in a super flex league, if he was still available. Um, I think he's going to be an every week starter in a super flex league for the rest of the year. Thankfully, I already have him rostered in my super flex league where I have Dak. Uh, he's not going to perform like Dak has to help my team, but at least I was smart enough to have him on my team already were Dak to get hurt. Certainly, uh, Dalton's nowhere near as talented as Dak, but I do think he's a serviceable back backup and he has all the great weapons around him. So I would even put a claim on him in a one quarterback league too. I'd imagine that he'd be streamable in a starter on some weeks, depending on the matchups, even in a redraft league or even in a, a one quarterback league. Next player I mentioned, I already mentioned him already, Keelan Cole. Uh, Cole's the clear wide receiver two in Jacksonville, uh, making him the wide receiver one if Chark injury lingers, like I just said. He's still available in a few of my leagues, uh, but he really should be rostered in every dynasty league now as he's played so well to start the year. He really was a deep sleeper a few years ago, and then he didn't really play well last year, which caused many dynasty owners to drop him. And so that's why he's still out there in a few leagues. Uh, somehow he's climbed up the depth chart in Jacksonville, even with all that competition. And he should be climbing up the depth charts of our dynasty rosters as well. And plus, Minchie's been throwing like crazy. He's thrown the ball 40 to 50 times each of the last four weeks. And that gives Cole a really safe floor uh, with the amount of targets that he's going to receive. Next player that I'll mention is Travis Fulgham. Oh, man, I have to admit that I had never heard of him before. His 10-catch, 152-yard, one-touchdown day on Sunday. Uh, he bounced around practice squads the last two years before really seizing this opportunity on the wide receiver needy team of the Eagles. Um, I'll add him to my dynasty rankings, but I don't imagine that he'll be um, carving himself a permanent role on the team, especially given the Eagles have so many guys that they drafted, those wide receivers that they drafted on their team, and guys injured, you know, that just Jackson and, and Alshon Rager that haven't come back yet from their injuries. From their injuries, I'd still make a waiver claim on him this week, uh, just to wait and see. Would he use in a pinch the next few weeks if I had a, a lot of injured wide receivers on my own roster? But he's the third third guy that I'd target. So I'd go Dalton first, Cole second, Fulgham third. Last thing we'll do on the podcast, like we do every week, I like to talk to you about trades that have happened in my leagues. Um, the reason I like to do that is because trades are really hard to grade in a vacuum. 
since scoring systems are different in each league and every team has really diverse roster construction. That's why uh, when I talk about these trades, I give context for what dynasty owners were thinking when they made the trades that they made, because I'm actually talking about trades that went down in the leagues that I'm a part of. So that said, here are some thoughts on some trades that went down in my leagues this week. First, we had Miles Sanders. Got a package for Miles Sanders. Miles Sanders was traded for Juju Smith-Schuster, Jalen Rager, and a 2021 third-round pick. This trade took place in my 14-team PPR, tight end premium, super flex, all-flex league. <laughs> so in this all-flex league, trades are really not made to compensate for weak position groups since managers can start as many wide receivers or running backs as they choose. But the team who acquired Sanders happened to be really thin at running back with really only James Robinson as his only starter at running back. He had a lot of strong wide receiver in his wide receiver core, so he was able to give up uh, Juju and Rager uh, for Sanders. He's a contender, and so he must have saw thought that Sanders would help him contend even more this year than Juju would. And then the team that acquired Juju and Rager is one of the youngest teams in the league. Uh, they look to be buying up young talent to compete for the future, not really uh, able to contend this year. All that said, as context here uh, does matter a lot, um, I think I would like the Juju and Rager side of this trade. Juju's the same age as Sanders already, even though he's been playing in the, in the league longer. And I really do believe Rager's going to become the wide receiver one in Philadelphia for years to come. Um, as I said last week, I believe Juju is now the wide receiver two in Pittsburgh, beyond behind Deontay Johnson. But I still believe he has dynasty value. Um, I, I like the two-for-one part of this trade, even though it's close, especially since he picked up a third-round pick to boot. Next trade that went down in my leagues, uh, Nick Foles went for a 2021 second and third-round pick. Wow. Starting quarterback for a 2022nd and 2023rd. This trade uh, took place in my PPR tight end, Superflex, all-flex league. Uh, obviously, it was a Superflex league to make a trade like this. The team that traded away Foles has Patrick Mahomes and Kyler Murray as a starting quarterback, so he is sitting pretty, which is why he was willing to give up uh, pick or Foles for these picks. And then the team that traded for Foles has Aaron Rodgers and Derek Carr as his starters, and I guess was just seeking to add some depth. Uh, I think in his 14-team league, the middle-of-pack team must have thought that a second and third-round picks don't really hold too much value because of the depth of this league, a 14-team league. Um... But I don't know. Foles hasn't looked much better than Mitch Trubisky and can actually lose his position to Trubisky again, as he did last year to Gardner Minshew. I wouldn't put that completely out of question. Um, I think it's too much risk uh, to give up those picks for Foles when you already had two starting quarterbacks in Rodgers and Carr. And who knew, of course, that Carr was going to play as great as he did this last week. Next trade that went down was DJ Chark, Eric Ebron in a 2022nd and third for Rashad Penny, Darius Slayton, Austin Hooper, and a 2021st. So Chark, Ebron, a second and a third for Rashad Penny. Someone must still be believing in him. Darius Slayton, up-and-comer. Austin Hooper, it's a tight end premium league, and a 2021 first. So this trade took place in a 12-team PPR tight end premium super flex league that I'm in. The team that gave away Chark is in rebuild mode and has been acquiring a lot of first-round draft picks. And while Chark, I do believe, is the best player in this trade, the young prospects and the draft picks still make this a win for that team uh, because they're in a rebuild mode to get Penny, hoping that he could actually come back and take the job in Seattle. Darius Slayton, up and coming and for the Giants. Austin Hooper in a tight end, uh, in a tight end premium league. And then a 2021 first. You can see what he was trying uh, to do there. 
I think that I would give a 2021 first round pick for Chark, no matter what my team's roster looked like. So I like that side of the trade as well for the team that's contending. I think he got the best player in the trade by far. And Ebron should play um, better than Hooper this year. I really think that that's going to happen. I don't like what they're doing in Cleveland and the limited number of passes to Hooper. I think this trade was fair for both teams, and they got what they were trying to do when they made it, when they made the trade. Next trade was uh, Calvin Ridley and Eric Ebron. Eric Ebron's constant in these trades. Calvin Ridley, Eric Ebron in a 2022nd for T. Higgins, Jalen Rager in a 2021st. Wow. So capitalizing on the star play of Calvin Ridley right now, getting Eric Ebron in a 2021 second. But then for this team, going for youth here, got T. Higgins, Jalen Rager, and a 2021st. So this trade took place in my 12-team PPR, tight end premium, super flex league. The team that gave up Ridley is rebuilding, and he picked up two top prospects and a first-round pick you know, for this trade, while the team that grabbed Ridley uh, really added to a loaded roster and is making a strong run for the championship this year. I really like that the competing team uh, could get a second, trick, second pick back in this trade. I think um, that's what really makes me like this side of the trade. I think I'd rather know what I've seen in Ridley, um, even though I've seen enough of Rager and Higgins uh, to be hopeful. I like what I've seen in Ridley, and because he was able to get that second round pick back, I really like that side of the trade, even though I understand what both owners were trying to do. Next trade was Teddy, uh, Teddy Britt Bridgewater and Devontae Parker for Drew Locke and James Conner. So pretty even trade. Two quarterbacks traded for uh, middle-tier middle Conner and a middle-tier Parker. This trade took place in a 12-team PPR tight end premium Superflex League. I think it's a pretty even swap for both teams. I think they were just they just liked one quarterback over the other in the Superflex League. Neither team was quarterback needy. Both teams just sought to shake up their roster a little bit. Uh, Locke could be returning to play soon, but still, I think he's in that kind of unproven category, category for me with only like five or six games played. I think the team that picked up Locke is is um, better on with a younger has the younger player with a higher upside, um, and he also acquired Connor, a player that's in the last year of his contract. So, given those things, I think there's just a little bit more risk on the Locke and Connor side, given Connor's contract situation and Locke still being a little bit more unproven. I think I like the Bridgewater uh, Parker side of this, even though I see again what both owners were trying to do. Final trade I'll mention. Yes, Ryan Tannehill in a 2021 second-round pick for Eric Ebron in a 2021 first-round pick. So this took place in a 12-team PPR tight end premium Superflex League. The team that gave up Tannehill is rebuilding, and so this trade netted him uh, his fourth first-round pick in 2021. So he's just going for that first-round pick. That's what this trade was about. And he's given up a, a second-round pick to acquire a first. He's done that a couple times, actually, in this league. This trade... Uh, May also be the first one that I've seen. Maybe has some that's affected by COVID in some way, uh, given the trouble that Tennessee has had controlling the outbreak on their team. That could be uh, if potentially there's talk of them maybe even having to forfeit games if COVID continues to be a problem for the team. I'm not sure if that had anything to do with it or not. Tannehill is one of his starting quarterbacks. That's what's surprising about the Superflex trade. It was one of his starting quarterbacks that he gave away, leaving him with only one startable quarterback in the Superflex league. So he's going to need to fill one of those draft picks that he's got, you know, acquired four first rounds. One of them at least has to be for a quarterback next year in this league because now he only has one starting quarterback since he gave up Tannehill. Knowing that he did that, uh, that makes me really like the Tannehill side of this. I, I think I would have preferred to keep Tannehill um, if I only had two starting quarterbacks and I give one up um, for the unknown of what this first round pick is going to be.
So that's it for this week, my freaky friends. Thanks so much for giving a listen to my week five wrap up. That's going to be a wrap for this week. Make it a two-way conversation anytime by contacting me at dynastyfreaks at gmail.com. That's dynastyfreaks with two E's. I am much better on email than Twitter, so email is the best way to get me, dynastyfreaks with two E's at gmail.com. I said every week I would be honored if you take time to rate and review the podcast and Apple Podcasts. That would mean a lot to me. Thanks for listening. I appreciate your support. I do want to become your most trusted, independent voice in the Dynasty landscape. Until next time, you know what to do. Go out there. Get freaky. Thanks for listening to the Dynasty Freaks podcast with your host, Justin Christopher. We welcome your thoughts and advice. Let us know what you'd like to hear on the podcast or see on the website to help you dominate your league. Justin prides himself in responding to every email, so hit him up anytime at dynastyfreaks at gmail.com and follow him on Twitter at LonghornJustin. Justin.